Welcome to Season 1, Episode 5 of Viking Story. My name is Alan Laycock-Fuchs, and you are listening to an accompanying podcast for a novel that I've written, which is set in the Viking Age. And this season, we're looking at various elements of the Viking world that I had to consider when writing my novel. And today's episode is going to focus on religion in the Viking Age. As with all of my episodes so far, it's really just going to be a a short overview. Um, But maybe in the future, I will do a a more deeper analysis into various elements of, of Viking religion. But today, it's going to be a general overview. And the interesting thing for me as well is that when I started to write my novel, you'd think that as the author of your own novel that you would be in control. But as it turns out, you're really not. And of course, I had a script in mind when I wanted to write my novel, but I never wanted religion to be a focus. I didn't want to write a religious novel. It's not that I don't think religion is interesting. It is, of course. But what I thought was more interesting was the plight of my main character, Bloodsword. And that's where I wanted the focus to be. But as I started to write, and once you start getting into those the finer details, um, like any project, really, you have to start reworking the script a little bit because certain things just don't make sense. And as it turns out, in the time period where I've set my novel and in the locations where I've set my novel, it would have been hard if I was going to keep it authentic for my main character to avoid religious topics and religious themes because in around the year 1000 in Scandinavia, there was a lot going on in terms of religion. And this was a time period where a lot of Norse Vikings were actually converting to Christianity, and it was a real melting pot of these two religions coming together. And of course, behind these two religions were two very different cultures as well. So my character, he of course encounters people who have dealt with these issues. He himself has to at least be aware of them and and think about them. And of course, there's certain events happening as well that if my character was there at these times, obviously this would have uh, had an impact. So I had to incorporate religion. I'm not, I'm not sad that I did. I'm not disappointed that I had to do that, but uh, it, it was just interesting how I kind of lost control in a way because I wanted to keep the authenticity, but that meant reworking my original script. So the main thing to consider when we're talking about the Viking religion and Christianity, so I'm going to call the Viking religion the pagan religion. And, and when I'm talking about it, it's very different from Christianity. The first thing to note is that it's a polytheistic religion. So the Vikings, in their pagan beliefs, believed in a number of gods and goddesses, whereas obviously Christianity is a monotheistic religion, so they just believe in one god. And in my novel, I call this one god the Christ god, but this would have been more or less the early stages of Christianity. It was still kind of in its infancy, especially in Scandinavia, and a lot of people didn't really know what to call this god. So a lot of them called called him the Christ god, or the white gods, but I call him the Christ God in my novel. Interesting thing is, if you're a Christian at this time period, of course you would denounce all other idols, and you would just follow the one true God, the Christ God, the Almighty God, the God of everything, and yeah, you would forsake all other idols. But from the other side of the coin, from the Vikings' perspective, since it was a polytheistic religion, They were already accustomed to worshipping various gods, and of course, when you have various gods and goddesses, of course, they're going to be all slightly different. You're going to worship different ones at different times for different reasons. They're all going to have their own specialties. Uh, So it wasn't that difficult for them to incorporate another new god into their pantheon of gods. So for a lot of Vikings that converted to Christianity, and I'm 
using the term very loosely, they would have taken the Christ God just to be one of the many gods that they could worship to in times of need. And what's interesting is a lot of early Vikings, not a lot, but but at least a, a few, clung on to this idea of the Christ God having control over water because they learned that he could walk on water. And for some Vikings, he became sort of a an ocean god of some sort. So that's how they incorporated them into their existing beliefs. But yeah, in, in terms of, of the Viking gods themselves, it's, I'm not going to go into it in too much detail in this episode. Of course, as many, probably most of you listening are already aware of Odin and, and Thor. Of course, there were many more. What's interesting too is that sometimes it seems that the the, the Viking gods would lose their importance over time, or others would gain prominence, and so it depended on, on the time period. There was a god named Ulla, for example, and he seems to have been um, a very ancient winter god of some sort, or hunting god, or warrior god, um, but he kind of falls out of favor. There's another god called Tyr, and he's the god of victory, but he's also a god of war, obviously, so he kind of replaces him, but then both of them are replaced by Odin eventually, because he's also a god of war, and He's the, the all-father of all the gods, and he rises in, in importance. So you have varying gods with varying influences over time, and it's an interesting belief system. Another difference between the pagan religion of the Vikings and Christianity was the places where people would worship. So I've been to Europe, obviously. I've seen the great medieval churches here. So these are quite spectacular structures. If, if you haven't been to Europe yet and seen some of them for yourselves, I, I definitely encourage you to do so. A lot of people, of course, during the Middle Ages were illiterate, so it was important to impress them with visual cues. And uh, churches were enormous, elaborate, opulent structures. And within the churches as well, there were lots of there was lots of imagery. So you would see Christ, you would see Mary and Joseph, you would see different scenes from the Bible. So if you were a churchgoer, you might not be able to read the Bible yourself, but you would have listened to your preacher, you would have heard the words of the gospel, and you would have seen this imagery as well. So it was very striking. And in this sense, churches fulfilled a very important purpose to awe and inspire in, in the people. The Vikings didn't really have churches. There are what's been determined by archaeologists to be something along the lines of pagan temples, but for the purposes of my novel, and there's, a, there's an interesting dialogue actually in my novel where I have some characters talking at a, in a feast hall, and some of them are pagan, some of them are Christian, and they're talking about the places of worship. And for a lot of Vikings, they actually just used nature as their places of worship. There were special places. This is something I didn't really talk about in the Norway episode, but actually in Tromsø there are three mountains that are famous. They overlook the entire town, and for some reason the middle mountain always has the sun basking on it, and the other two to the left and right don't. And I always joked that, oh, maybe perhaps somebody should get a shovel and investigate, and there could be something there. This could be a sign from the heavens, but... They, the Vikings would have noticed these things too, and, and waterfalls would have been maybe special places. And just anywhere in nature that was kind of unique or special in some way could have been designated as a religious area. So the Vikings did a lot of their ceremonies outdoors, including weddings as well. But there are places in the archaeological record that have been determined as pagan temples of some sort. Today, there are still stave churches, and... The thing is, after Christianity came to Scandinavia, then the Vikings became aware of the concept of churches, and then 
this influenced the idea of making their own kinds of pagan temples. But even before Christianity came to Scandinavia, and even before the influence or the idea of Christianity came to Scandinavia, there were probably chieftains' halls. We know from the records from when Iceland converted en masse to Christianity in the year 1000 that one of the edicts afterwards was that if the people wanted to, they could still worship the old gods in the privacy of their own homes, but they had to be Christian in public. And this was sort of the first step to becoming a Christianized nation. So this proves that people did have altars or areas of worship within their own longhouses. So I can imagine that a chieftain with a great hall might have even had a larger worshipping area. And for convenience as well, I know especially in Iceland it, it rains a lot, so you might want to do things indoors from time to time. And I can imagine that powerful chieftains would have converted their longhouses into essentially pagan temples as well. So I don't doubt that there were these pagan temples as a concept, but I do think the majority of early pagan worship probably occurred outdoors. And this is one of the big differences between Viking religion and Christianity. So let me talk a little bit about the religious worldview of the Vikings then. And how did that framework look like? The first thing I should say is that we get a lot of this information from poetry, also from some other written sources, but it's clear that a lot of information has been lost, which is really unfortunate because obviously it leaves us today wondering what else might have been. What's also interesting to note is that there's a debate that there's probably been a lot of information lost about the goddesses, because although there are goddesses in the Norse mythology, they don't seem to play as prominent of a role as the male characters, which is interesting for the Vikings because the Vikings were really ahead of their time in terms of gender equality. So we've, we've uncovered archaeological evidence that there were Viking, female Viking warriors. Viking women around the year 1000 could have divorced her husband if she'd wanted to. So women had a lot more power. They escalated to high positions of power. Uh, so in terms of gender equality, they, the Vikings were really ahead of their time, which makes it interesting that when you look at their mythology, that the female goddesses are not more represented. So one argument is that perhaps there, there were more female goddesses or that they were more influential, but these stories and these, uh, this information has been lost over time, which in my opinion, probably true, but it's not something that we can ever really prove unless we find these lost scriptures somehow. But yeah, what we, what we can glean from, from the information that is available to us is we get a sense of world that's interconnected. And the thing that holds everything together is Yggdrasil, which is the ash tree. And you can kind of think of this tree as the spine of the entire world. And everything is attached to Yggdrasil. And there are different worlds. And uh, for the purposes of my novel, I focused on... Most of them, I guess. There's, they say that there's nine worlds in total, but the worlds kind of are disputed somewhat. And again, this is possibly due to lost information. And I feel like if we could retrieve some of this lost information, it might clear things up a little bit. But there is a little bit of ambiguity to the Norse mythology. But in principle, there were two homes of the gods. There's Asgard, which is home of the Aesir. And then there's Vanaheim, which is home of the Vanir. And some scholars have concluded that originally the Aesir and the Vanir were two sets of gods and goddesses from two different groups of people who came together and amalgamated and then 
became one. It would be one suitable explanation for why there's these two groups of gods instead of just one group of gods, as you might expect. In this area of where the gods live is also Alfheim, which is home of the elves. Sometimes they're called the light elves to contrast them from the dark elves. Sometimes the dark elves are called dwarves as well. So I would distinguish it between elves and dwarves, just make it easy like that. But the dark elves uh, live in Svat Elfheim, which literally translates as dark elf home. And uh, the dwarves are really good in Norse mythology at making things. The elves, on the other hand, they're hardly mentioned in Norse mythology. Not much is known really about them. They're kind of inconsequential. But again, probably a lot of stories have been lost over, over time where the elves might have played a more prominent role. There's also Midgard, and this is the home of humans. This is where people live. And Midgard is, is connected to the land of the gods by a bridge, a rainbow bridge called Bifrost. And outside of the land of the gods, this is where people live, this is where the dwarves live, this is also where the Jotunheimer manor live. And I think I mentioned this before, but the Jotunheimer, or the Jotunheimer manor, are often translated into English as giants. And they live in a place, not surprisingly, called Jotunheim. But I am uneasy with using the term giants, just because when we think of giants, we're already preconditioned to think of them in a certain way. These lumbering oafs, usually pretty slow in movement, probably pretty slow in thought as well. Whereas the actual Jotunheim manor, they were probably large, as large as giants that we would think of in their normal form, but they were much more magical and mystical, and they could change form, and they could take the form of a human if they wanted to. So they didn't have to be these large beings. And so I, I, yeah, I'm hesitant to use the word giants. Uh, in my novel, I just call them Jotunheim manor. I just used the word that the Norse used and let it speak for itself. But in any case, these people are sort of enemies of the gods in a way. There's a lot of conflict between them, and Thor in particular enjoys attacking them and killing them. This rainbow bridge, Bifrost, is designed in such a way that it's supposed to burn the feet of the Jotunheim manor if they try to cross it and access the land of the gods. So the land of the gods in this sense is supposed to be impenetrable, but actually in many of the stories that come down to us from Vikings, the Jotunheim manor do enter Asgard, or they do enter the land of the gods. So Again, there's a little bit of ambiguity here about where are these places, how are they connected, how can you access them. But in general, the gods are kind of separate from us, from people. But it's definitely it was definitely believed by the Vikings that if you wanted to, you could actually travel to Asgard, theoretically, or to Vanaheim as well. Like, all of these places did exist, and it was, it was difficult to get there, but theoretically you could. Um, apart from the places I've already mentioned, we've also got the Underworld, so... The Underworld, the main place is called Hell, and actually it's just usually spelled with one L, but this is the etymology behind the word Hell that we know. When Christians tried to convert the pagans, they used a lot of their own terminology to make it more understandable how the Christian belief system worked. But the original Hell was conceptualized by the Vikings, and this is where obviously people go when they die, but you'd only go there if you, if you died of illness or old age. Because if you died in battle, then Odin would be watching over you and he would probably pluck you from the battlefield after you had uh, succumbed and he would take you to Valhult, which is often anglicized as Valhalla. And there you would feast and eat and fight and train and just wait for Ragnarok. 
So it was a real honor to be chosen by, by Odin. And in this sense, you couldn't really lose a battle because as long as you fought bravely and valiantly, you would either live and then your legacy would be renowned or you would die, but because you fought bravely, Odin would take you into his hall. So it probably made the Vikings even more fierce in battle because they really did not fear dying. It was a victory in itself, in a sense. But if you did not die in battle, if you died of old age or illness, then you would end up in hell. The ruler of hell was a woman also named Hel, and she was one of Loki's daughters. What's interesting is we have a story of one of the gods, Baldr, who is murdered, essentially by Loki, and the gods try to retrieve him from hell, and spoiler alert, they are unsuccessful, but it does show that theoretically it was possible if you were in hell that you could be retrieved, and all of these worlds were interconnected, so it wasn't, nothing was ever really final. You could always traverse these worlds. There's another place in the underworld called Niflheim, which is like even a deeper version of hell. And some people talk about a place called Niflhel as well, but I wonder if these two places are, are one and the same. I conflate them for the purposes of my novel into just Niflheim, and this is where evil people go. So if you die and you're an evil person, you would end up here. Uh, not a very nice place. Niflheim is unknown, in poetry, which makes it kind of unique. Most of our sources for these locations come from poetry, but Snorri Sturluson talks about Niflheim, so that's how we know that it existed, and for the purposes of my novel, like I said, I incorporate it this way. If you died in battle, as I said, go to Asgard. If you drowned, there was also something of a sea goddess named Raun, and she had a large net and she would catch the bodies of people who drowned in the water and she would take them into her care for the rest of eternity. So for the Vikings, depending on the way you died, this is where you would end up. But nothing was ever final, like I said. But in general, these were the places that existed in the religious worldview of the Vikings. So I think this will conclude episode five. In episode six, I'm going to present my last episode of the season. And I think I'm going to revisit the first episode which was about the Viking world, because there's a few more topics that I just want to kind of group together and conclude with uh, for the end of the season. So I'll be talking about things like language and laws and some of the things that I didn't really get to in the first episode. But until then, if you're a fan, if you're an agent, if you're a publisher and you'd like to get in touch, you can reach me at vikingstoryfaq at outlook.com. That's vikingstoryfaq. Love to hear from you. And Thanks once again for listening, and cue Thor's thunder.